Well, one day, a man called a church by mistake. And the front office staff were so busy, and they were scurrying about getting things ready for the weekend, and they kind of forgot where they were at for a moment, and they simply answered the church phone and said, hello, didn't announce the name of the church. And the guy said, yeah, I'd like to order one pound of barbecue, two pounds of coleslaw, and a dozen hush puppies, something like that. And she said, oh, she snapped back into reality. She said, sorry, sir, this is uh, not a food operation here. You must have the wrong number. The guy said, well, what business are you in? What are you selling? And you know, that's really a fair question, isn't it? What are we selling? Why are we here? What are we doing? Are we merely here on Cox Road to simply improve the looks of the neighborhood? Are we here to be another arm of the Red Cross? Or to have an awesome food pantry dishing out loaves of bread? Are we here to simply provide spiritual first aid to people? Absolutely not. For our primary mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We are on a track together to make Jesus known in this community and to tell people there's another way to the madness in the world. There's more to life. There's joy to be had. There's peace to be known. There's hope to guide you in this life through the person of Jesus Christ. And frankly, that's why we're in this series right now. I am really posing the same question that Jesus gave to the disciples. He said, well, who do you guys say that I am? And it was Peter that piped up at that point, and he said, well, I say that you are Jesus, the Son of God. So I wonder, who do you today say that Jesus really is? And in fact, we want to invite you to rededicate your heart and life to the Lord. You know, a few years ago, I had Cincinnati Bell and the technician, the platform that they had at the time, they said, you know, it really would be good for you, sir, to unplug this modem at least once a week, and it'll clear out the errors in there, and it'll reset everything, and then your internet and your TV will work really good then. And you know, I think sometimes we need to reset our operating system Make sure that we are really tracking with the Lord. We're really following Jesus Christ. And it's in him we placed our trust. It's standing on his word and abiding in his spirit that guides us. So the question that I want to challenge you with here today, we find in Mark's gospel. And we find here an interesting scripture and so we're having a flashback here, if you will. You know, Easter's so busy, all the things that we're doing. Sometimes we need to take a moment and remind ourselves, hey, why are we here? And in this Easter season, this Easter tide coming up on Pentecost in just a couple of weeks, we remind ourselves of what happened here in the death of Christ. Here are the steps that Scott has read to us in Mark 15 that recounts these uh, moments before the death of Christ. And Jesus had been arrested by his enemies. He had been tried by the religious authorities, and he had been condemned. And keep in mind, this is all false witness going on here. This is false testimony, erroneous accusations that are leveled at Jesus. 
And when we look at Jesus here, and we look at the story and what the people did to him that day, we can see ourselves. And we have to think to ourselves, are we really trusting Jesus? Or are we rejecting Jesus? Now, there's a lot of rejection going on in this world. There's a lot of rejection. We hate to be rejected. You hate it when you ask the girl out and they reject you. No thanks. Or when we really want that job and we have really done everything we could do to get that job and you get the rejection letter. Or if you apply for college or a scholarship or whatever it is and they say, sorry, no thanks. We even reject people in our lives. There was a guy at a church, uh, another church that I visited quite often. I went to his home, and the first time I had this chuckle when I pulled off, he had this long driveway, and right at the entrance of his home, he had this great big stone, and etched on it was these words, friends welcome, family by appointment only. <laughs> it's kind of like the lady in the neighborhood that told a friend, said, just ignore the sign on the doors. It's just for drop-ins and salespeople. And the sign read, bell does not work, knocking won't either. <laughs> Isn't it interesting rejection that we face in life? And we see it here going on in the life of Jesus. And it's interesting here in this text that everybody rejected Jesus. First of all, Jesus was rejected by the priest, I remind you. These events took place early in the morning. The terminology here means that's somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., probably the 5 or 6 o'clock hour. And it's during this phase of the trial that the Jews asked Jesus the same question they had asked him during the night. And once again, Jesus was asked here if he was the Son of God. And Jesus answered that indeed, I am. And to the Jews, this confirmed that he was a blasphemer in, his, in their eyes, and they wanted him dead. And Israel, as you know, was under Roman domination. They were being dominated by this other kind of force, if you will, and they were uh, really uh, allowed a great measure of freedom to try cases and to sentence people, but they were not allowed to sentence anybody to death. And that right belonged over only to the Roman governor. And so the Jews condemned Jesus to death, but they lacked authority. And uh, the Jews had condemned Jesus, and they sent him to Pontius Pilate. And when the Jews sent him before Pilate, they knew that this wasn't going to really square with him, the accusation that they had. They knew that Pilate would never intervene in any kind of Jewish religious argument, and so they changed the charges against him. And when they went before Pilate, they said, well, we found this guy here perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is the king, and it worked. It gained the attention of Pilate. And isn't it interesting here that the pastors were rejecting Jesus? Isn't it interesting that the religious people rejected Jesus? They had no place for Christ. The Jewish religious leaders had a good thing going in their mind. As far as daily life in Israel was concerned, they really had the power 
I mean, they were making vast amounts of money, evidently, there in the temple, the buying and the selling that was going on. They believed that they were right with God. They had this power. They were rich and famous, you might say. They thought they were justified by all of their actions, and they believed that their religion was enough. And the Jews rejected Jesus because religion has no room for Jesus. But not only did the priest reject Jesus, but I remind you here, of course, that Pilate did. And Jesus arrives before Pilate and he asks Jesus about the accusation that he is the king of the Jews. And the answer Jesus gives is somewhat different than what he gave to the Jews. When the Jews asked Jesus about his identity as the Son of God and the Messiah, Jesus said, well, I am. But when Pilate asked Jesus this question, he responds, well, you said it, thou sayest it. In other words, I'm the king of the Jews, but I am not a king in any way that you would understand it. My kingdom is not of this world. My authority comes from above. Now, Pilate, as you know, was not a Gentile. And he did not know who Jesus was. And he had evidently not been out on the countryside in Capernaum and other places to see all the incredible miracles that had happened. He hadn't seen the healings take place. He hadn't heard the sermon discord, the Sermon on the Mount. He hadn't been out in the hillside when the 5,000 were fed. And so on that morning, Pilate was brought face to face with Jesus, and he had a decision to make. Pilate, you might say, was drunk on power, and his career was placed above everyone and everything. And Pilate was amazed, but he was convinced, according to the text, that Jesus was innocent of the charges being leveled to him. So what does he do? He sends him to Herod. And Herod questioned Jesus, and the soldiers mocked Jesus, but refused to answer Herod when he was asked the question. So Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate, and Herod was also convinced of his innocence. And ultimately, Pilate would allow the Jews to take Jesus and to crucify him. And you know, let me just stop and say, doesn't it take a tremendous amount of power in ourselves, a tremendous amount of courage to do the right thing? It takes bravery to stand up in a world that's bent on doing evil and wrong. It, it takes courage to stand up for Jesus. It takes bravery to live for God in a world that's so full of control of, by evil. Not only, however, do we see that the priest rejected Jesus and Pilate rejected Jesus, but thirdly here in this text, we see very clearly the people, even the people reject Jesus. And Pilate has examined Jesus and he's convinced that he's innocent. He takes a gamble to free Christ without any kind of political backlash. He thinks he's getting out of this thing. And it was Pilate's custom, as you know, to invite the crowd to select a prisoner to be released. And he has in his custody a prisoner by the name of Barabbas. Now, this is a real interesting character here because he was a political prisoner and he was a revolutionary. He had been arrested for insurrection and for murder. And he was trying to overthrow the Roman government and he was headed for the death penalty. He was headed for the cross. And Pilate offers the crowd this choice between Jesus and Barabbas. And he thinks they will choose the peaceful Jesus over a very violent rascal known as Barabbas. 
But the Jewish leaders, as we know in the text, suddenly start inciting the crowd. And they stir the crowd up and cause them to choose Barabbas over Jesus. And when they made their choice, Pilate asked them what I should do. And they cry out, even the louder, crucify him. And in verse 14, Pilate again states his belief in Jesus' innocence. What has this guy done? But the people are whipped into a frenzy at this point and call on Jesus' death. Now, some people say that this is the same crowd that was there on the first of the week as Jesus was strolling in on a donkey singing Hosanna and waving palm branches. Some people think that's the same crowd that's here. But I think a deeper reading of this text, you realize it's a different group of people. I mean, the supporters of Christ are not here at this moment because the crowd was there because they know Barabbas was about to die. He was going to be the one going to the cross and they had showed up and perhaps really wanted this guy who's a revolutionary to try to overthrow the Roman government. And the crowd that day didn't care anything about Jesus, the ones that were there. They wanted Barabbas. You know, it's interesting that history here says that Barabbas, his full name was Jesus Barabbas, which means Jesus, the son of the fathers. The crowd then had a choice between Jesus, the son of the fathers, and Jesus, the son of God. And so I ask you today, who is your authority? You see, when I think about this question here, I think about the decision that Pilate had to make. And they kept chanting to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him, just do away with him. And Jesus, of course, was innocent, and yet the Jewish people wanted him dead. The crowd there wanted him out of the way. And Pilate said to them, why? What has this man done that this guy needs to be crucified? And all they did was shout it the louder. And this verse 15 is the point that I want to raise to your attention today because here is where it says the key phrase, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. So I ask you today, who is your authority? Is it the crowd or is it Christ? You know, an interesting thing happened in history and was back, as I understand it, on December the 26th, the day after Christmas, 1944, when a guy by the name of Hiru Anada, who was a Japanese soldier, is dropped off at Lubang Island there in the Philippines and he's told to take soldiers and go into the jungle and fight the Americans and the Filipino forces. And of course, at the time, the war was going really in America's way, and Japan was reeling. And so Hiro's, uh, Anata's commanding officer, just go into the jungle and don't stop until I tell you to stop. Well, he takes him up on that, and Hiro goes into the jungle and he conducts this very vicious guerrilla warfare. But they don't stop when the war ends on September the 2nd of 1945. In fact, they keep going. They keep conducting these guerrilla operations through the 1940s, through the 1950s, through the 1960s. In fact, you realize it's not until 1974 that the guy gives up. And the reason is he wouldn't give up because of what his commanding officer said. 
His commanding officer never came back but told him to keep on fighting until you hear from me. And all during the 50s and 60s, they were sending leaflets, dropping them over the jungle. They were sending messages from uh, home and family members, please give up and all these things. But his commanding officer never came back until 29 years later, they finally said, we better get his commanding officer in here. In 1974, they fly him in. He says, Hiru, please come out. And he did, he gave himself up. And by the way, he was still wearing his uniform. 29 years later, he went in in his 20s and didn't give up. He's in his 50s. Can you imagine fighting a war for 29 years, 28 of which the war had ended? 28 years, the war had been over. And why? Because he was not going to disobey his commanding officer. His commanding officer was part of a chain of command as he was that reported all the way up to, in their view, God, the emperor. And he wasn't going to stop. He wasn't going to give up until his commanding officer told him, Hero, it's time to stop. And my only point here is Hero Inada had a commanding officer, and that commanding officer was his authority, which he wasn't going to disobey. And that commanding officer had to relieve him of his duty some 29 years later. And so my question to you today, in this Easter season, in this day in which we live with such turbulence in our world, who's your commanding officer? Who is your authority? Are you standing with the Lord? Are you standing with the mob? Let's pray.